we started a message series last week titled this, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. And uh, the subtitle of this series is, It's Impossible to be Spiritually Mature While Remaining Emotionally Immature. So this is a series that's uh, based on emotional health. And it's actually a series that's based on a book by a guy named Pete Scazzaro uh, by the same title. And this was a, a book in the, in the recent series that I had the opportunity to kind of read through and uh, digest with some of the guys in my disciple-making group. And I just thought to myself, this was so helpful to me personally. Man, this would be something I feel like the Lord's saying, we should, we should kind of walk through this as a church on Sundays together. So um, we, we kind of set a foundation a little bit last week, and we're going to pick up a little bit la- last week where we, or where we left off from last week. But I just want to get us a little bit caught up, and here's kind of where we landed o- off of last week, and it'll be up on the screen, is this idea that emotional health and spiritual maturity are inseparable. It is not possible to be spiritually mature while remaining emotionally immature. Our emotional capacity is a part of the way that God has created you and I. And, and many times, unfortunately, as followers of Jesus or church people, um, that's one of the capacities that we kind of sometimes leave behind or neglect. And, and for many of us, it, it creates a, a do more type, type of an attitude where we're like, there's something missing in my life still when I started following Jesus or I started attending church. And we, we many times are apt to want to do more. And more and more. And, and we got a f- several examples of the more that many times in church we, we say, okay, we need to do more of this. More Bible study, more small groups, more prayer, more spiritual warfare, more worship, more justice and how we serve people, more gifts of the spirit or prophecy, right? More grace. And these are all things that we constantly are talking about because they mean a whole lot in terms of our spiritual development. But I'll see this. If we are an emotionally immature person plus any of these things, these things can many times do more damage than good. We can be a person that knows the Bible very, very well, but as an emotionally immature people can use the Bible in a detrimental way in terms of how it coexists with how we treat people, right? You could partner that with any of these ideas and be a person that doesn't ever take care of their emotional health, and it can be detrimental to the way people experience God through the way God has called us to be his ambassadors, All of these things are absolutely important, but it can be detrimental without concern for our emotional health. So this series is concerned about our emotional health, about the genuineness of who we are before God, uh, naked and all, and saying, God, would you redeem sometimes the areas that exist beneath the iceberg of our life? That illustration of an iceberg, where if you've ever seen it, icebergs, you can see basically 10% of the tip of the iceberg that exists above the water. But there's 90% of that iceberg, the mass of the iceberg, that exists underneath the water. And that's where we're really going to try to open the can and dive deep into in this series. And we've been talking about a key scripture that, that this morning um, we're going to continue to base where we're going uh, off of. And that is out of Genesis 127, which reminds us, so God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And within that image of God that God has created each and every one of us in is one of the capacities of our emotions. One of the capacities of emotions is one of the areas that God cares for and wants to redeem within each and every one of us. Are we self-aware and are we gaining a self-awareness concerning the image that God created each and every one of us in as human beings? Are we interested in what it would look like for us to be emotionally healthy 
people in regards to our spirituality. So this morning, uh, we're going to, the title of this morning's message is Symptoms of Emotional Unhealth. And many times when we talk about uh, emotional health, it's, it's, it's sometimes hard to kind of grasp, like, what exactly are we talking about? So one of the helpful ways for, for you and I to notice that there might be unhealth is what Pete Scazzaro lists in his book, um, 10 symptoms that I, th- when I read through these symptoms, I thought, oh my gosh, I'm a little bit of a mess, right? And, um, and here's my hope this morning is that we won't leave this place discouraged, but we would leave this place maybe s- identifying a few key points in terms of our emotional health and how it regards to our spirituality where we're saying, okay, God, maybe that's an area of my life that you need to redeem or maybe I need to zoom in on or be intentional about um, allowing, God, your healing and your health to come into my life. So before we dive in, we're going to be looking at 10 um, symptoms of emotional unhealth this morning. But before we do that, let's pray together uh, before we continue. Lord, uh, we're just so thankful that you care about every capacity in which you created us in. Lord, you've created us in your image. And rather than neglecting certain parts of that image you've created us in, would we receive and understand this morning and have a clear picture of what it means to be humans created in your image? And what that would look like in in experiencing full healing and wholeness in terms of who we are as human beings. For us this morning, many of us have many hurts from our past. Maybe many family wounds or we maybe have brushed some things underneath the rug. But Lord, uh, maybe you're going to bring some of those things to the surface, Lord, so that we can move backwards so that we can move forward uh, this morning and and throughout this season, Lord. So um, would your spirit just be here um, speaking, guiding us, highlighting areas of our life where you want to draw attention to, not, not for the purpose of shame or for the purpose of just pointing out areas of error in our life, but pointing out areas where your healing wants to come in and do a deep work within each and every one of us. So, Lord, I pray for a posture of openness to that this morning as we continue. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen, amen. All right, well, we're going to look at 10 symptoms of emotional unhealth this morning, and we're going to start off with um, number one. And number one, we're, we're categorizing as this. Number one is using God to run from God. Um, basically, the best way I think we can kind of summarize this is using Christian culture to escape actual pain that exists in our lives. Pete Scazzaro, he says this uh, in the book. He says, using God to run from God happens when I create a great deal of God activity In order to avoid difficult areas in my life, God wants to change. Really interesting, right? Using God type of attributes or God type of things to actually be the excuse that creates a barrier for us to actually find and experience emotional health. And I've listed several bullet points of how this could maybe be defined in helping us understand this. So let's, let's look at a few examples of this, of using God to run from God. Maybe when we do God's work to satisfy ourselves rather than him, right? When we do things for God, maybe it's more about us and our selfish ideas and our selfish will rather than it's about him. Doing things in God's name he never asked me to do, right? Maybe there's things that God never asked us to do, but we're choosing to do them instead. Pray about God doing my will, not about me surrendering to his will. Sometimes and many times this boils down to an ultimate submission. What is the motivation of why we're doing what we're doing in terms of our spiritual life? Is it out of a place of wanting to please other people or is it really out of a place to say, God, 
you are who I submit to, and you are the authority in which I serve. Maybe you are a person who demonstrates Christian behaviors so significant people think well of me. Once again, it's like, well, maybe if I put off the image that I pray a lot or I read the Bible a lot, people, other people will think well of me because I've kind of situated myself to use God, maybe to run or hide from the fact that there's things that God needs to change inside of me. We'll keep going here. Maybe focus on certain theological points out of concern for my fears and unresolved emotional issues rather than out of concern for God's truth. Really interesting. That's, a, that's an interesting one, a slippery slope. of saying, I, I read the Bible kind of out of a concern for me rather than a concern of understanding that I'm following these commands. I'm following God for his pleasure, for his authority. Use biblical truth to judge and devalue others. There's a big one that I think many of us can relate to. There are many times where biblical truths have been used in a way as a weapon rather than as a vehicle for God's love and his grace to crash into our life. Maybe we exaggerate our accomplishments for God to subtly compete with others, right? It's like, well, you know, I'm this type of Christian to kind of be the person that's always the most spiritual in the room, right? Because it's more about a competition than it is about serving God. Maybe making pronouncements like, the Lord told me I should do this, when the truth is, I think the Lord told me to do this, right? I think we get this one a lot in church circles, is thus says the Lord, as if we as human beings are the direct mouthpiece on behalf of God. How many of you guys know that that was true in the biblical narrative, but that was true in the Old Covenant, where there was literally an office of prophets, but now in the New Testament church, we have the gift of prophecy, the office of prophets have ceased, meaning this is we do not have a direct line of word for word with the Lord. In other words, we can be people that kind of try to comprehend and discern God. But for us, it takes a, uh, an ounce of humility to say, you know what? Even as certain as you're hearing God's voice, we have to humbly come before and saying, we aren't mouthpieces for God because we are not God himself. Using scripture to justify the sinful parts of my family relationships, cultural values, and national policies instead of evaluating them under God's lordship, right? This is an issue of not starting with the Bible, but starting with what we think and trying to shove our ideas into the Bible. We must be people that humbly say, God, if you're number one, it starts with you. And I see a lens of how I interpret the world around me through your lens versus my preferences and what I think the world looks like best in my eyes. This isn't up to us, but this is up to you which can begin to unravel different things in our lives. Maybe using God to run from God and hiding behind God talk, deflecting the spotlight from my inner cracks and become defensive about my failures, right? Just kind of putting out there a lot of just spiritual kind of language that really kind of confuses other people to never allow people to get deep into your life or using that as kind of a mask for God to get deep into your life. And then lastly, apply biblical truth selectively to avoid anything that would require making significant life changes. You know, it's like, well, I'll, I'll, I'll give in to that thing that you encouraged me to do, God. But this other thing, you know, uh, that's going to actually require some actual life change. So I'd rather not, right? So this would be descriptive of the first one, right? Using God to run from God. So I don't know about you. Some of those bullet points, I kind of like, Ugh. You know what I mean? And we're only on number one, so we're going to keep this thing going, right? Okay, here we go. Number two this morning, ignoring anger, sadness, and fear. This is a big one because for many of us in the church circles, um, 
emotions, or let's say anger, sadness, and fear as listed, sometimes are taught or sometimes have been carried down throughout church history as bad, 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 bad. We're not to be people that experience the emotion of anger. We're not to be people that experience the emotion of sadness. We're not to be people that ever experience the emotion of fear as Jesus' followers, right? And what the, the issue with this is we have inflated ourselves with a false confidence to make the feelings go away rather than admitting your feelings and expressing them openly. Sometimes as Christians, you know what? You're going to experience fear. Sometimes as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus, you're going to experience sadness. You're going to experience pain. You're going to experience anger. I love what Pete Scazzaro says. He says, to feel is to be human. To minimize or deny what we feel is a distortion of what it means to be image bearers of God. Feeling and the emotional capacity is a part of the way that God has designed you and I. Our feelings are a component of what it means to be made in the image of God. We don't get to just delete feelings away from our humanity. But what would it look like for us to be people that rather than ignoring anger, sadness, and fear, we use these as launch pads to say, hmm, I'm noticing this about my anger. I'm noticing this about my attitude and fearfulness concerning this. And having a capacity to admit the feelings we're having so that we can process through them and allow them to be laid down at the feet of Jesus to be experience healing and redemption. Let's keep moving. Number three this morning is what we would call dying to the wrong things. This is an interesting one. There's, there's kind of a, a, an idea that sometimes runs around in, in our church circles is the more miserable you are, the more suffer, the more that you suffer, the more God loves you, right? That we're supposed to nonstop live a miserable life, that we're supposed to disregard our unique personhood, and that it has no place in God's kingdom. I love what Pete Scazzaro says. He says, God never asked us to die to the healthy desires and pleasures of life, to friendships, joy, art, music, beauty, recreation, laughter, and nature. Isn't that so good? Many times people say, no, that's none of that. None of that belongs in God's kingdom because we're supposed to die to those very things. But in fact, those are things that God has designed for us to experience the beauty of in this abundant life that he has designed for each and every one of us. It's like the person where you're like, okay, like, tell me your wishes, your hopes, and your dreams. And the person is just automatically like, my wishes, hopes, and dreams are to follow Jesus. You know, and it's like, there's nothing unique about the person's personhood. It's this generic kind of general call of, yeah, that's true. But what about the unique way that God has created you? As followers of Jesus, we aren't called to annihilate the self or become non-persons when we become Christians. We're called to be people that lay down the unique person that God has created us to be and to enjoy the beauties of life. And many times, as emotional, a symptom of emotional health, we die to the wrong things, and we equate the level of suffering to the level of our spirituality. Number four is this, as we keep moving. Denying the impact of the past on the present. This is the idea, and we alluded to this a little bit last week, is the idea that I accept Jesus and my old life is no longer in me. It is forgotten, which is a fairy tale because you don't get to just automatically erase 
your past from your brain and everything that you've experienced as a human being up to the point of when you begin to follow Jesus or experience his forgiveness, his healing, and everything that comes with what it means to be saved and follow Jesus and call upon the Lord and be a follower of him and, 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 and saying, Lord, you are everything to me. I submit to your ultimate authority in my life. Pete Scazzaro, in this section, he says, The work of growing in Christ, what theologians call sanctification, does not mean we don't go back to the past as we press ahead to what God has for us. It actually demands we go back in order to break free from unhealthy and destructive patterns that prevent us from loving ourselves and others as God designed. See, we got to go back. Rather than pushing forward and acting like we have amnesia when we become faith followers, Rather, it requires us to say, we are broken people, and it's time for me to understand the things that maybe I've tried to brush under the rug are things that actually God wants to redeem and help bring me into completion as a whole, healthy human being. Let's continue. Number five this morning. Dividing life into secular and sacred compartments. This is what we would call the classic double life, right? It's where it's like faith, my life, my church life, my spiritual life is kind of this category or this compartment of my life that doesn't ever actually intermingle with any er other areas of my life. My social life, maybe my vocation, my job, right? Um, any er other areas. Um, Pete, Pete Scazzaro says this. He says that it's so easy to compartmentalize God, relegating him to Christian activities around church and our spiritual disciplines without thinking of him in the way we navigate our marriages, discipline our children, spend our money, enjoy our recreation, or even study for exams. I love how practical he gets there, is that when we become faith followers, if Jesus is the ultimate authority, what he thinks about the world and the abundant life in which he wants us to live has implications in terms of how we live outside of Sunday. Sunday is for church, Monday to Saturday is for work. And what emotional health reminds us in terms of how we frame our spirituality is those two worlds, and my hope as your pastor is those two worlds continue to crash together in terms of not a separate spiritual life, but what would it look like for the completion, the wholeness of our life to be one that becomes redeemed under the lordship and the authority of Jesus. And I think this is an interesting one because for many people, I think that there's questions asked when it comes to new guests who come to church. And many of the, the questions concerning our culture in terms of Christianity is why do Christians many times make such lousy people, right? Because many times we claim the message of God, but our life Monday through Saturday doesn't reflect under the humility and the submission and the lordship of what it would look like for God to crash into not just two hours on a Sunday, but to literally the 168 hours that exist in completion throughout the week. This is why this is so important, our emotional health. Let's keep going. Number six, doing for God instead of being with God. Productivity. Getting things done, right? Once again, Pete Scazzaro, 
in this section, he says, being productive and getting things done are high priorities in Western culture. Praying and enjoying God's presence for no other reason than to delight in him was a luxury, I was told, that we could take pleasure in once we get to heaven. Right? There's a perspective, I think, that many times was handed down in church is like, we're on, we're, we're on, we're on duty right now. And to enjoy the presence of God is means that's, that's for heaven. But here on earth, there's, there's work to be done. So we must work, work, work. There's too much work. But what's so interesting, and I think this is a very helpful truth for us to grasp even in this one, is that our activity for God can only properly flow, properly flow from a life with God. It needs to first come from a place of what does your relationship with God look like? Because the quality of the work and what you do for God will only come from the health of a place that first starts with what does your relationship with God look like? Is that relationship one where you have full submission? You are fully healthy and engaging because what comes out of your life will be a direct reflection first of the amount of time that you spend with God. How many of you guys know that many times God finds himself in the slow pace and moments and quietness that is many times countercultural to the pace that our life and our culture demands? So it takes a ton of an intentionality. Many times we become human doings rather than human beings. And what this one confronts is this idea. What would it look like to be a human being first? To not gauge our spirituality based on what we're always doing, but to base it first with the priority of saying, I'm being with God, and I'm prioritizing my withness of being with God rather than doing for God. Both matter, but the order is more of the concern, right? Let's keep moving here. Anybody else getting your butt kicked already? Yep. I know I am. Yeah, there we go. Awesome. Uh, Number seven, spiritualizing away conflict. Ooh, this is a big one. This is a good one. Um, Pete Scazzaro says this. Perhaps one of the most destructive myths alive in the Christian community today is the belief that smoothing over disagreements or sweeping them under the rug is part of what it means to follow Jesus, right? It's like, well, I'm just, I'm being like Jesus. I'm being the peacemaker. See, Jesus was a peacemaker, right? If he's the peacemaker, then it's like, hey, when there's conflict, like, let's just, let's just avoid it. Just sweep it under the rug. Let's just act like it never happened. But how many of you guys know that's not actually the way that Jesus lived his life when he was on earth? See, Christians don't avoid conflict if we're in the footsteps of Jesus. Because the Gospels that I read, the Gospel accounts of Jesus, man, I, I read a lot of conflict that Jesus had. He was in regular conflict with who? Religious people, religious leaders, crowds, conflict with his disciples, even his own family. See, Jesus, did as a peacemaker, we gotta, we got to understand how we're defining peacemaker. Once again, we don't get to define peacemaker in our own terms of, well, peacemaking to me is sweeping these conflicts under the rug and never addressing them again. No, because Jesus was constantly confronting conflict. And to be, bring true peace, Jesus disrupted the false peace all around him. Isn't that interesting? He refused to spiritualize conflict avoidance. There was a false piece of religiousness that surrounded the Pharisees and those who were leading 
the representation of what it meant to be a person of God, a person in Israel, a person living as a Jew within the confines of Jerusalem. And he didn't avoid it. Actually, he hit a lot of those false pieces head on, and he confronted them, and he worked through them. And I will say this as well. When he dealt with conflict in the same way he encouraged us to deal with conflict, he dealt with it face-to-face with the person in which he had conflict with. He didn't shy away. He didn't say he had a conflict and then passive-aggressively walk away and puke all over everyone else about the things that he had an issue with about the other person. But he models what peacemaking actually looks like by healthily confronting conflict head-on and right there. When he had a problem with someone, he never held back. But he pushed back on the conflict and the things that he saw. Model something so counterintuitive in terms of what we want to be. I love, it's easy to be passive-aggressive, guys, right? It's easy to be passive-aggressive in my marriage, right? Luckily, I have a wife who calls me out on that many times and has helped me have to process through speaking clearly and directly once again and being able to communicate graciously the needs that I have rather than being a very passive-aggressive person that can so easily turn from uh, resentment to resistance to eventually revenge. And I'll just say that that is an appetite for human beings not to get along as long as we're carrying resentment, unresolved resentment, which then many times leads to resistance against people, which then eventually will lead to revenge. See, that's, that's that's not true peacemaking. God has called us to a standard to not spiritualize away conflict, but to deal with conflict in a very healthy way that will benefit us in being emotionally healthy and whole. Spent a lot of time on seven there. I think it's an issue, right? At least it's an issue with me. Maybe that's why I'm going. I'm going there, right? Number eight. Here we go. Covering over brokenness, weakness, and failure. The classic kind of facade, right? Like, well, as long as everybody just thinks I'm great and kind of don't have any problems, right? Presenting an image of ourselves as strong and having it spiritually together. Um, here's what's so interesting. Like, if you read the, the, the Bible, you read about these people that God engaged with throughout the biblical narrative um, that sets the stage for us to be people that engage with God currently today in relationship with him the Bible doesn't really spin the flaws and weaknesses of its so-called heroes, right? Let's think about this for a second. Moses is a murderer. Hosea's wife, prostitute. Peter, he rebuked God. Awesome. Noah, got drunk. Jonah, racist. Jacob, liar. John Mark, yeah, remember when he deserted Paul? Awesome. Elijah, he burned out. Jeremiah, he was depressed and suicidal. Thomas, he was a doubter. Moses, he had a temper. Timothy, he had ulcers, right? All, all these different, there's so many examples. The heroes of the Bible, there's never things that are shied away from in terms of their weakness. But for us, in terms of our emotional and health, many times we don't want to be the people that admit our weaknesses or even have conversation. We want to create a facade of like, well, as long as people see me and think that I have it all together. But once again, How many of you guys know that God sees right through that facade that we're trying to project for other people? And that is emotionally going to be a detriment towards the emotional well-being of you as a human being. Pete Scazzaro says this. He says, every human being on earth, regardless of their gifts and strengths, is weak, vulnerable, and dependent on God and others. We don't have it all together. 
We're actually dependent human beings. We need God. We need the grace of God. We need the breath that God provides for each and every one of us. Some people never admit that they do, but we are dependent because we are people that don't have it all together. And not only do we depend on the common graces that God provides for us on this earth, but we depend on others in community. No one can successfully live an abundant life by being alone. We are dependent. So do not believe the lie that sometimes it's so easy to believe when you see super gifted people or people that you believe to be role models in your life, right? There's always people that we look up to. That's a role model. That's a person I look up to, but you can so easily believe the lie that they've somehow escaped the reality of human brokenness. They have not. Many times those very people have actually healthfully processed through their weaknesses and their brokenness, and they found ways for God to emotionally invite healing into those places, right? We can so easily look at the role models and the people who have done great things in our lives and believe the lie that they don't have human brokenness just like everyone else. They do. But status and the way that we perceive people and the way that we see people in the world that exists today sometimes create scales for us to say, oh, that person must not experience everything else that another broken human being experiences. But we all do. We are all broken human beings that are dependent not only on the grace that God gives, but also the dependence that we need and rely on when it comes to support for one another. Don't spin the flaws. As people who are emotionally whole, we need to become very self-aware. Becoming, a lot of emotional health has to do with our self-awareness. Who are we? What are our flaws? What are the unique ways that we are broken? What is the unique story in the places that we've uniquely come from that God wants to redeem as a part of our calling to set the stage to help be vehicles of healing for other people as Christ's ambassadors. See, when we shy away the very story and the uniqueness of what God's called each and every one of us individually to, we shy away from the potential of how God can use us in our very unique and specific calling. So beautiful when we actually become people that say, you know what, I'm kind of screwed up and I'm a work in progress. And this is how God is working through the brokenness in my life. That makes us feel uncomfortable. Sometimes that makes people feel very uncomfortable, even in church environments, where it's like, Pastor, what are you saying? You're, you got problems too? Absolutely. I just get to be the guy that's on assignment and has this as an opportunity of something to steward. It doesn't mean my assignment makes me greater in some sort of a greater capacity than any other human being. I'm a human being just like everyone else with brokenness, with the story, with things that are still unhealed, things that I personally am having to navigate through as God aligns certain things at moment-by-moment basis in the timeline of my life here on earth. But what would it look like for us to be people that are open about that as a church and help, once again, spur one another on towards ultimate healing? Number nine. Let's keep going. Living without limits. Ooh, this is a good one, too. Living without limits. Once again, kind of believing with a little bit of a God complex that, like, you can do everything. There's no limits. There's no boundaries with my time. There's no boundaries with other people. I'm, I'm free. I'm open. I'm, I'm open to have no limits. And here's what I know. When somebody has no limits, they're such an easy candidate to be burned out and to be helpless to no one. See, it requires boundaries. We are not God. We cannot serve everyone in need. We are human. Can I repeat this from a church perspective, too? 
we as the church are not God. We are the fullness of Christ, right? We are. We represent as his body. But we as one individual local church cannot attack every single need that exists in the world, which makes us as one individual local body, rather than being competitive with other local bodies, trying to find opportunities to partner together so that we, in our unique calling as a local church, can partner and continue to move in the right direction. But we as one individual local church body will not solve all the problems in the world. It is impossible. So that means there needs to be some decisions made and boundaries of what are we going to steward and how are we going to steward the resources, the people, the time, the talent, the treasures that we have to make the greatest impact. God has called us as a church to do that. But here's the amazing thing. He's also called each and every one of us individually to think about stewardship of our life in the same way. When you don't have boundaries around your own life, unfortunately, you did not position yourself to have the greatest impact in the sweet spot of calling that God has created for each and every one of us. I love what Pete Zero. we're going to share two quotes on this one because it's just so good to me. He says this, he says, when Paul said, this is a classic, Philippians 4.13, right? I, s- I can do all this through him who gives me strength. The context was that of learning to be content in all circumstances, right? The strength he received from Christ was not the strength to change, deny, or defy his circumstances. It was the strength to be content in the midst of them, to surrender to God's loving will for him. I love it. Content within the limits, not defying. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. It's like, I'm going to be Jesus walking the earth and solve every single problem. Independent, no need for anyone else. Once again, this comes into contact with the submission that God requires out of us to say, now Jesus, you're Lord. I'm a human being that has limits. And the contentment that I find in the midst of my limits matters to the Lord. Are we people that are always wanting to do more? Are we, do we find contentment even in seasons where it feels like I'm not really producing? I think of the prophet Jeremiah who had a ministry where literally not one person came to know God because of his ministry. And he served in a very suffering circumstance in captivity and didn't see fruit in his ministry. You'd say, well, that guy, he, he lived a fruitless life. But I love the prophet Jeremiah by being content and wrestling with God and finding contentment in the midst of his circumstances, now you and I as readers of the Bible have an opportunity to read from his legacy, which impacts billions of people today. See, many times in the midst of our contentment, in the midst of our limits, we think to ourselves that we're not going to make a great impact. But it's in the midst of our boundaries, it's in the midst of admitting that we don't and can't address every need, that maybe that's where we find a special grace on our life to make the greatest impact. We are called to lay down our lives for others and to deny ourselves. But how many of you guys know, we first, in order to deny ourselves, we first need to have a self to actually lay down. Who are you? What is your unique self? What does that look like for your unique self to be laid down? Parker Palmer said this, he says, self-care is never a selfish act It is simply good stewardship of the only gift I have, the gift I was put on earth to offer others. Anytime we can listen to the true self and give it the care it requires, we do it not only for ourselves, but for the many others whose lives we touch. By you having boundaries, you are benefiting other people. 
by you choosing to steward your life into creating boundaries and categories for how you steward the gift God has given you, actually the self-care that God has called you to provide for yourself to lay down actually becomes the very thing that benefits others in an exponential, grace-filled, multiplying way. It's powerful when we decide to be people that live within the boundary of our own very limits rather than living the lie of living without any limits or boundaries. And last but not least, and this is a familiar one as well that we're going to end on this morning. Number 10, judging other people's spiritual journey. Whoo! This is a tough one. Because when we're occupied with our own faults, we have no time to see those faults in our neighbor. But are we occupied with our own faults? This is a challenging one. This is one, and maybe you've cruised through the list so far and are like, hey, I'm good. This is the one where I'm like, ain't nobody good with this one. Let's just be honest, right? I love what Tony Campalo says. He says, love the sinner, hate your own sin, right? Many times we hear that phrase, love the sinner, hate the sin. But he spun that phrase, love the sinner, hate your own sin. Hate your own sin. Pete Cazari says this, he says, many of us have no trouble at all dispensing advice or pointing out wrongdoing. We spend so much time at it that we end up self-deceived, thinking we have much to give and therefore little to receive from others. After all, we're the ones who are right, aren't we? This often leads to an inability to receive from ordinary, less mature people than ourselves. We only receive from experts or professionals. Oof. That's painful. Because sometimes we self-deceive ourselves to say, you know what, I know better than anybody else. Therefore, this lowly person... This person who doesn't know as much as I do, you know what? I know better. So you never actually receive from anybody, devaluing them as a human being, creating a posture that our, the, the, the appetite of our world loves to buy into, a very us versus them type of a culture, meaning that I don't see community with other people that think differently than me, that I can receive from them, that they can be a part of my life's journey. Shared a second quote on this one, too, because it's just so good. Pete Scazzaro, he says, By failing to let others be themselves before God and move at their own pace, we inevitably project onto them our own discomfort with their choice to live differently than we do. Ooh. Well, I'm, I'm living this way, so I'm living the best way. And it creates an uncomfortability. For you and I, when people don't live the same way we do. And I'm not talking about, like, just breaking the standard of God by sin. I'm talking about cultural things. I'm talking about, well, I think the way that I live is the best. And the way that it makes us feel uncomfortable and it boosts our ego of rightness when we begin to see people or experience others that just choose to live differently than we do. And it really boils down to the way that we can, in an unhealthy emotional way, judge other people's spiritual journeys. Jesus said, didn't he say this? We must first take the log out of our own eye, find our own blind spots, before we can ever expect ourselves to take the speck out of anyone else's. But it's so easy to be the person who spends the most of our time 
judging another person's spiritual journey when, in fact, Jesus is constantly calling us to self-reflection, saying, when I look in the mirror every morning, what's my sin look like? Do I have a full and deep awareness of the things that I'm bad at, the things where I'm falling short? And when we become aware of those things, how much easier does it say, okay, Lord, I'm aware of these things, so now I can actually admit them and lay them down at your feet to say, change me, transform me. Don't allow me to be the same person I was today or tomorrow. Powerful. There it is. Ten symptoms of emotional unhealth. And you might be saying this morning, like, we're going to conclude here. Like, wow, I'm a mess. I don't know about you. Like, I read through this list, and I'm like, woo! But I think this helps for us gain a temperature. And once again, remind us in a humble fashion that none of us have it all together. And for many of us, our emotional health begins to bleed into the spirituality of what it means to follow Jesus. And here's what I'll say. I, I want us to look ahead a little bit in the series is we're going to be looking at several pathways of how we confront many of the different things on this list and how we begin to invite practices and invite a posture into our life of saying, what would it look like to be transformed, to have our emotional health transformed, to be laid down at the feet of Jesus, and to experiencing that ty- type of healing. Um, I'm not saying that the series is going to solve all of our problems, but once again, I'm saying, what would it look like for us to engage with this and begin to experience new he- healing in our lives that maybe we weren't aware of in the first place? And so in the next several weeks, we're going to look at different pathways of emotionally healthy spirituality that's going to address some of these areas. And I'm really excited to kind of s- continue to open the can on emotional health and what that would look like. But in the meantime, here's what I want to do. I want to take the p- same posture that we took last week and just invite us to take a posture as we conclude just to pray and say, Lord, we're just thankful that you're gracious. We're thankful that in the midst of us being aware of our own brokenness, that each and every one of us are a work in progress, that we're in a, in a, in a humble posture. We're saying, God, we invite you in to come and to bring healing. And, and not only healing to the symptoms that sometimes appear in our lives because of our brokenness. Because when we read these things, you're like, oh, gosh, that symptom that's in my life. I've done that before, right? It's like, okay, whoa. But what about the surgery that God wants to do? What about the thing that maybe is deep down that is the actual depth of the way that God wants to go deep and heal that the outcome becomes the symptom? What would it look like for us to say, God, not only address the symptoms that I'm seeing, but opening ourselves in a posture of saying, God, would you do deep surgery in my life to help heal maybe some emotional areas of unhealth that you want to address and you want to heal. Amen? So can we do this this morning? If you would, if you want to take that posture, I just invite us to kind of put our arms out this morning as we just pray, and like we're receiving a gift and we're receiving um, from God to do what only I believe he can do. Let's pray this morning.